Hi, I'm Raphael Honigstein, and you're listening to the Bavarian Podcast Works. Welcome in to the latest episode, the first episode in 2020 of Bavarian Podcast Works. Did you miss us? Because we absolutely 100% missed you. We missed being on air. It was a very long winter pause, probably one of the longest that I've experienced in a while, or at least it really felt that way. Didn't it feel like a, a really long winter pause? But we don't have to worry about that anymore because Bayern Munich is back and there's no better person that I'd like to celebrate that with than with my brother in arms on this project, Tom Adams. Tom, how was your winter pause? What was something that you did that was a lot of fun? First of all, it is great to be back. You're absolutely right. This winter pause feels like it's been like five years. It has been so long, probably because we don't have a Callum Hudson-Odoi transfer saga, Leroy Sané in its infancy transfer saga. But it is good to be back. Finally, Bayern Munich is back in our lives. Happy New Year to everyone. It feels good to be back. Uh, Big and bright things coming in 2020 as far as Bavarian football works and Bavarian podcast works is concerned. It's good to be back on here with you, Jake. Uh, I'm trying to figure out something that was actually really exciting uh, that I did. Not much. I mean, one highlight I thought was pretty cool. I, I did go to New York City at one point in between Christmas and New Year's. And I, I actually went to a Liverpool bar that was that's owned by Jamie Carragher, uh, former Liverpool center back and legend, called Carragher's for a Liverpool Wolves match. But I actually was talking to a couple of Liverpool fans there, and two of them that had actually heard of Bavarian Football Works, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we've we've read that site many times before." And uh, they used us as an outlet last year when we were playing Liverpool in the Champions League knockout stages. So I thought that was pretty cool. So. You know, we have reached out pretty far as far as uh, Liverpool fans. One was from Ireland and the other one was from Liverpool. So I thought that was pretty cool. Well, that's excellent. It's a good thing to hear that we've been growing. And a lot of that is thanks to uh, all of the readers and all the listeners out there. So thank you very much for all of that. Now we're going to go ahead and take a look at this upcoming fixture against Hertha Berlin on the weekend. And plus, if you stick around to the very end, we have another giveaway for everybody. Thanks to everybody from the office of FC Bayern Munich in New York. Uh, If you stay to the end, you can find out the details and what you have to do in order to win what we have in store for you. But before we get to all of that, we're just going to go ahead and take a look at everything that's happened big in the winter pause, more specifically some transfers of note with some teams in the Bundesliga, because obviously Bayern have not sold anybody or bought anybody just yet. But that does not mean that the Bundesliga hasn't gotten its influx of talent or outflux of talent depending on where you're sitting at and there are three transfers that I really want to note. The first would be an outgoing transfer. It would be the transfer of Borussia Dortmund midfielder Julian Weigel. He left the club. He left Germany altogether and he joined Benfica for about 20 million euros. He wasn't really getting much time in the midfield with Thomas Delaney absolutely stepping into that defensive midfielder role that he really occupies. And in addition, Julian Brandt and Torgan Hazard have both really shown their versatility being able to not only play on the wings but also being able to boss the center of the field. So now he gets to restart his career in Portugal at the age of 24, but Tom, do you think he will be able to do that? 
Well, ironically enough, the one of the first things that I had written down in my notes for this transfer was perhaps he's following in the illustrious footsteps of uh, Renato Sanchez in the sense that that's where Sanchez started his career. Um, and he sees, you know, maybe this is an opportunity to pull Renato Sanchez. But in all seriousness, um, everything you said was right. I think he perhaps feels a little bit threatened with such a star-studded impact midfield at Dortmund. Um, I also wonder, you know, the timing of this it happened a little bit before uh, the transfer of Erling Haaland from RB Salzburg to Dortmund was announced. I wonder how much of that he knew ahead of time was just another attacking player to throw into Dortmund's to Dortmund squad. And as you mentioned, you know, Lucien Favre has that um, that preference to use Axel Witzel. Uh, Thomas Delaney, even Julian Brandt at times um, as either one of the joint six or number eight roles. And then obviously you have um, the front three that sort of uh, sometimes picks itself when they're all fit. Jadon Sancho, Marco Royce, Torgan Hazard, and then Paco Acacera as well when he's fit. Um, so perhaps he just he saw himself in a squad that was uh, so deep. Um, and especially with a guy who has question marks over his future at the club in Lucien Favre, you know, a lot of people have been calling for, you know, for his head as far as the amount of poor results that Dortmund has had, you know, how how much security is there there for a guy like uh, Julian Weigel, as you mentioned, who's not getting as many minutes under a manager who may not be there, um, you know, as long as he would have liked to have been. Um, and just to answer that question too, I mean, I'm pretty sure that uh, just looking in the notes, Julian Weigel, uh, went straight into the starting 11 for Benfica's re recent win. Um, I, I apologize if I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's Aves, I think. I don't really watch any of the Portuguese Super League. And from what I understand, put in a really, really solid performance uh, starting from the midfield. So he's already off to a, a fantastic start. So hopefully for him, this this is a place where he can, as you said, jumpstart his career and you know keep getting consistent minutes and, and, and stay in the eye of uh, Yogi Love and the, the German national team coaches. The next transfer that we're going to touch on is probably not one that's garnered a lot of attention, but I think needs to be discussed nonetheless. It is the transfer of Exequiel Palacios, the Argentinian 21-year-old midfielder coming from River Plate to Bayer Leverkusen. He is a young Argentinian who can play in a variety of roles, and he does a really good job in the number eight and then the number six role. In my mind, I think that he is going to be Leverkusen's replacement for Kai Havertz when he eventually leaves for one of the multiple destinations that he's linked to, including Bayern Munich, over this summer. Plus, they have a great track record of developing South American midfielders, whether you look at Aranguiz, Arturo Vidal, Zé Roberto. Uh, Tom, do you think that that may be what they have in mind for him, and do you think he will be able to match those expectations? 100% I think that's that's part of the blueprint that they followed with this transfer especially bringing him in from River Plate uh, for just around 17 million euros and you know when I speak of that blueprint not only for Leverkusen uh, but a lot of Bundesliga clubs as a whole you know they have a very good um, model and track record of of buying young and and buying relatively cheap and developing those players into prominent players and unfortunately the trade-off is once they do gain some prominence they do wind up being offloaded um, you know, to quote unquote more successful clubs, but you know the positive there is that you can make a, a very good profit off of a player. And as you mentioned, Kai Havertz is linked with 100% moving away from Leverkusen. In an ideal world, it would be to Bayern Munich. I know that he said in the past that the one club he would move to in Germany would be Bayern Munich. And you know, in an ideal perfect world, we would have uh, Havertz, Sané, and Coutinho all in our club on a permanent basis by next season. But 
Uh, that remains to be seen. But again, as you mentioned, I think this is a great buy for for Bayer Leverkusen. You know, I think this frees up a lot of space for some of the other midfielders um, that Peter Bosch has at his disposal in the Leverkusen squad. Aaron Gies, Demer Bay, Amiri, um, Kare- even guys like Kareem Bellarabi who play more of a wide attacking role when they come on. Um, but as you mentioned, I, I, I do think with... Um, Palacios's versatility to play either uh, a more retreated role or a more attacking. I believe he does have more of a preference to play a more attacking role. Uh, they are perhaps kind of grooming him and preparing for the the imminent departure. I shouldn't say imminent, but the eventual departure of Kai Havertz. And uh, hopefully for Leverkusen, Palacios can grow and develop and, and be molded into that guy and that playmaker for Leverkusen. And finally, what I would argue is the transfer of the winter, probably the most important transfer in the winter that we've seen in a while, despite the fact that he's on the younger side. It is, of course, the transfer of Erling Haaland from RB Salzburg to Borussia Dortmund for about 22 million euro. I know some Manchester United fans would say that the Bruno Fernandes transfer is more important, but you know what? Maybe you should climb up the table a little bit more. Uh, There was a bidding war between Dortmund and the other Red Bull club in Leipzig, but he ended up choosing this Dortmund squad that has been hurting for a striker, begging for a target man up top, because it's clear that Paco Alcacer has not been able to be that man for this team. Not to say that he isn't good, but for some reason, he just hasn't been cutting it with this really talented Dortmund squad. Holland obviously has a lot of potential coming up, but more specifically, Dortmund, they're in two major competitions right now with the Champions League as well as the Bundesliga. They also have the Pokal in there as well. Do you think that Erling Haaland is exactly what this Dortmund team needs in order to catapult them forward in those competitions? Uh, I do, and I hope so. Even as a Bayern fan, you know, you know, I was just really excited to see how well Holland would do, regardless of the the Bundesliga club that he he went to. I personally thought it was going to wind up being uh, RB Leipzig, being uh, a sister club and or a feeder club, so to speak, uh, to uh, RB Salzburg, and everything that Jesse Marsh had indicated uh, made it seem that he had already spoken with Julian Nagelsmann and that representatives from both Leipzig and Salzburg had met uh, over Erling Holland, and and it seemed as if that was the natural path, but I think part of his thinking might have been, yes, Dortmund uh, do need attacking options. You know, uh, Lucien Farva, Dortmund's uh, recruiting and scouting staff maybe convinced him of the fact that, hey, you know, this isn't going to be a molding project um, or, you know, a building project. You know, we'll be able to utilize you and get you right into the starting lineup and we'll be able to use you, um, you know, to immediate effect. And maybe he saw that um, at Dortmund, what you don't have as much of at Leipzig with such a young squad in Leipzig you know, at Dortmund, you have a perfect balance of young players with uh, more experienced veteran players that he can learn from, you know, being around uh, a guy like Marco Royce, Torgan Hazard, guys who have been in the Bundesliga for a couple of years, and then guys like young talents like Jaden Sancho, uh, Julian Brandt. I mean, perhaps he's even thinking, too, Jaden Sancho has been linked with uh, potentially uh, leaving the club and going back to uh, to England in the Premier League to play there. Uh, some big money offers have been touted around. So a combination of those things maybe made it uh, where Dortmund was the best fit for Holland, and I, uh, for the sake of the Bundesliga, I do hope he hits the ground running, but not at Bayern's expense. Um, so we'll see how he does, and I'll be very, very interested to see um, how long it takes him to get into that starting eleven, or if that's that's just something that Favre is going to pull the trigger on and and do right away. Now we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, but when we come back, we will take a look at this weekend's fixture against Hertha Berlin. 
Welcome back, and now we're going to get into a segment of Der Ausblick, not an entire show, so that way we can put two things together at once. And we're going to go ahead and take a look at Bayern's first game back from the winter pause against Hertha Berlin. It is the second fixture of the season against Hertha that Bayern has. The last fixture was a 2-2 draw at home to open up the season for De Routen. Uh... Two goals from Robert Lewandowski were matched by a goal from Dodi Lugabakio and a goal from Marco Grujic. Since then, the team has done kind of bad. They fell off a lot in terms of form under their manager, Ante Čović. But then recently, they just hired Jurgen Klinsmann to come in, and he's taken the Berliners, and he's really done really good things with them. They... Moved all the way up to 12th. I believe at one point they were either in the relegation playoffs or in the relegation zone, and they have somehow been able to climb up further than that. So, uh, Tom, do you know any way, like, how Klinsmann is emotionally or tactically different from Chovich, or do you think that this is just a matter of time for the players to find a way to click and make it all work together? I personally think it's a combination of all three things, but it's funny that you mentioned the the emotional aspect uh, because just as we start to look at the buildup to this game to start the rook runner for both uh, Air to Berlin and Bayern Munich, you know these news reports are coming out uh, saying that Jurgen Klinsmann actually doesn't have a valid uh, coaching license in the uh, in Germany, and I guess what had happened is. Um, where he uh, lives in California, his wife, for whatever reason, like he had his uh, renewal applications all, all good and set to go and, and to be sent to the, the proper officiating uh, proprietors for that. But his they went to his house, I guess, to look for him, but his wife wasn't there. She was off in Florida uh, doing something, and I might even have those two places mixed up. It might have been she was in um, California and they live in Florida, whatever it was. So he kind of cleared the air on that. But he also was recently... Um, you know, given an interview where he said that he probably could have taken the U.S. men's national team to at least the semifinals in the World Cup in Russia, which obviously, as we all know, we failed to qualify for, um, you know, over not getting enough qualifying points in qualifying stages. But everyone kind of boils it down to, yes, not being able to beat uh, Trinidad and Tobago or at least even get a draw. But that's neither here nor there. But you bring up the emotional aspect. So, and I see someone just looking at some of the lineups that have changed since uh, Klinsman took charge. I believe it was the end of November after uh, Chovich had left. Um, and, and by the way, they had, don't have that bad of a record since Klinsman took charge. Yes, they had a difficult match against uh, Dortmund, which I believe was his first match in charge, which they lost out 2-1. They have a, uh, a, a win over Freiburg. Uh, a win over Bayer Leverkusen, an impressive 0-0 draw against München Gladbach, a win over Eintracht Frankfurt. If you look at some of the changes he's made, um, at, at least tactically, he just looks to me, someone uh, mentioning that emotional aspect, that's ready to take more risks. Uh, I noticed one guy in particular, and you know, Bayern fans cover your ears when I say this name, but uh, Dodi Lukabakio, he's kind of taken him and shifted him more to a wide attacking role, uh, whereas Chovic pretty much just always pragmatically stuck him as the center forward or the uh, the quote-unquote number nine role um, and and he's had some great success there you know he's able to utilize his pace I think he's far better uh, you know 
running into space as far or excuse me running into space more so than you know playing with his, with his back to goal or playing in tight spaces you know like a guy like Lewandowski possesses the ability to do um, he he likes using Parasillian Shelberg or however you say his name as that anchor in, in midfield and he likes to deploy kind of that 4-1-4-1 role and maybe sometimes use Vidat Ibisevic as the as the number nine uh, Davy Selkie, he's been given a lot of minutes. Uh, so for me, it, it, he's looking at each individual fixture, um, whereas Kovic or Chovic, excuse me, might play more pragmatic um, and kind of live off of those uh, tight, congested blocks. You know, not a lot of space in between the lines as they did in the opening match of the Hinrunda and waiting for those mistakes to happen. And obviously, as we know, pretty much scored two freak goals. Uh, against Bayern to get that 2-2 draw at the Allianz Arena. I think Klinsman will be able to take his calculated risks, um, especially at home, you know, for whatever reason, uh, especially in the Bundesliga. Bayern don't have a great record at the Olympia Stadion, and not many people realize that. I don't think we've won there since 2016 or something like that in the league. So it's going to be no easy test, and I think Klinsman's going to be ready to take those risks and those gambles, and it's going to give us something to think about, especially with such an injury-hit squad that we have. I know that we were we were going over what our bench looked like against our closing match of the Hinrunda. It was uh, Jerome Boateng who had to come on for Javi Martinez, who got that muscle injury before halftime. Sven Ulreich, Sarpeet Singh, Lars Lucas Mai, Oliver Batista Meyer. Uh, Joshua Xerxes, who has picked up an injury since then, um, and then Leon Dejaku. So, I mean, that just kind of shows you where our depth is at at the moment. Yes, we will eventually have Kingsley come on back a few weeks into the into the Rook Runda, but, you know, we are just an injury-hit squad, and, you know, if one or two things go wrong, this can be very mentally difficult for Bayern to get back in it and keep their heads, so we need to make sure that uh, we come out strong and, and are able to adapt to everything that Klinsmann is ready to uh, to throw at us, especially at home. This Bayern team had a bit of an unconvincing end to the Hindrunda, and as you really mentioned, this team has just been battered so much. So many injuries, whether or not they are out for a very long time, or whether it's players just generally dealing with them, the numbers just start adding up. Whether it's Luca Hernandez and Nicolas Sula who are out for a really long time, whether it's Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, and Robert Lewandowski who are all just kind of trying to deal with these injuries that they have. And then you contrast that with statements made by Kimmich and Muller and Hansi Flick that are all begging, saying, we need reinforcements. And for some reason, it's just falling upon the deaf ears of Hassan Salahamidic. And as much as I really appreciate, as much as Brazo has done for this club, I don't know how you can take a look at this squad with the battered and destroyed... Uh, team that we have injury wise it's just absolutely riddled our squad and I don't know how you can look at that and say that we don't need a little bit of reinforcements that's just that's just shocking and confusing to me because if you think about it we are one injury to David Alaba away from a backline of Alfonso Davies who's been amazing but then Kimmich playing in a role that he doesn't want to or you have Pavar there and then your two center backs are Jerome Boateng and Javi Martinez. I don't know how you look at a potential situation like that and think that things are okay. I don't feel 
comfortable enough that this team can challenge for the treble, as is the aspirations of Hansi Flick. And that's not even going without saying that the complications from the sports hernia surgery that Robert Lewandowski just had uh, couldn't come back to bite him. And then we're stuck with very, very few options at striker, especially now that Joshua Xerxy has an injury. So at least in my mind, this team needs to win this game very convincingly. I'm not talking... 2-1, I'm not talking 3-2. I'm saying you need to win this game like 4-1, and if you can't be able to do that, then you should be going out and buying somebody. And I'm not saying that you should go for a big guy. I'm not saying that you should go for Sané or Havertz. You just need to get somebody to help that back line right now, which is so desperate for help. Just There are rumors about... Thomas Mounier from PSG potentially coming in like that at the bare minimum would be a perfect fit on this Bayern back line. It would free up Joshua Kimmich to be able to play in center midfield. It would allow Benjamin Pavar to be able to play as a center back and basically kind of just shove Jerome Boateng back onto the bench. But looking at this team, they really need to convince this weekend if Brazo's plan of no reinforcements really needs to take place. So, Tom, do you think they'll be able to prove Brazo right? Well, I hope they're able to prove him right because I feel like so much of the framework for, you know, all of the, uh, I should say the transfer leaks, leak links, excuse me, at this point uh, since the January window has opened and kind of the weeks leading into it with the injury hit squad, so much of it to me seems to have been framed around the idea that Hansi Flick has basically come out and said, yes, you know, I prefer playing Yashua Kimmich at that number six role, so I want to continue doing that. And so, you know, if you recall, beginning of the month, both Salih Hamidic and, and Hansi Flick were saying that uh, the, the plan would be, if the transfer is going to be made, it's specifically on that right back position to free up Kimmich to continue to be doing, uh, you know, fulfilling that number six role, um, that midfield role that he prefers and that apparently Flick prefers him to play. Uh, and I just don't know why all of a sudden the option for him to potentially slot back into the right back position has suddenly kind of faded away or why there's so much of a reluctance to do that because that would solve a lot of problems once, you know, some of the injuries to our midfield come back because it's defensively where we're hurting the most. So that's obviously the problem area, but I just, I just feel like so much of it has been specifically, you know, framed about that whole Yashua Kimmich continuing to play in the midfield concept and then as you mentioned uh guys like Tama Munier and then this uh the Brazilian guy I, I pronounce it uh Dodo or, or, or Dudu or I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce his name he's right back apparently a stalwart for Shakhtar Donetsk you know we've been linked with him and apparently outlets were claiming that we had already submitted a 25 million euro bid that was not accepted so you know it, it just has to come you know if the transfers do come you know, and especially if we don't play well in the first uh, two matches of the Rook Runda or the first match, if it goes south, it has to be plugging those holes, you know, at the right cost. You know, I, I understand I understand what it must be like from Salih Hamidic's perspective 
because it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, if we don't make a, a purchase and then there's a problem area, let's say it's right back. Maybe Pavard has to fill in there and, and, and just like has an absolute howler and Kimmich doesn't perform well in the midfield. It's kind of one of those things where the finger will be pointed. But, you know, if we pull the trigger on someone, let's say anywhere between 15 million to 35 million euro and they don't wind up panning out, you know, it, it's the same thing. You know, why have you spent this money on this guy? Why have you signed him to this length of a contract? You know, what what were you doing here? What were you thinking here? That was a stupid bit of business. So I think that they definitely have to tread carefully and um, I guess from from his perspective my perspective as a fan Hansi Flick's perspective you know only pull the trigger if it's absolutely if the price is right um, and then you know obviously there's always going to be an element of a gamble especially with such a low price anywhere from like 15 to 35 million euro you know I was just kind of throwing those numbers out there because it's unlikely that we'll make a very expensive purchase in the winter but you know take that gamble if it's there and you know, the assessment feels right uh, because there's just so many injuries to this squad. And unfortunately, uh, the wait continues. You know, Sula, we're not going to have back for quite some time. Hernandez, thankfully, will be coming back much earlier than him. But we still have some time, you know, valuable time, you know, to wait for that. You know, important matches in the Rook Round are coming up. We don't want to continue. We don't want to drop any points, slip down the table and then we've got the knockout stages of the Champions League coming up, which is a crucial time. And as you mentioned, we want to be pushing uh, on all fronts and in search of another uh, historic treble. So, yeah, fingers absolutely crossed. So, Tom, just very quickly, what do you think is going to be the final score of this game? This one, I hate to say it, I, I, I see it being very nervy, but I think we can finally crack the egg. I'm going to go with a 2-1 win for Bayern. First win at the Olympia Stadion in the Bundesliga for quite some time. I'm in agreement. That's actually the exact scoreline that I was going to give as well. 2-1 sounds like a perfect idea for this team, and hopefully, at least in the case of those that uh, of us that want to see some transfers coming into this club, I kind of hope that that's exactly what happens. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And now for some contest details. Thanks to our uh, partners uh, at FC Bayern Munich New York. We are doing a giveaway for two Bayern Munich beer glasses. They are really nice. They look like uh, vice beer glasses. They have Mia Mia written on it, and they just look overall like a really nice set of glasses uh all you need to do is fill out the survey attached to the blog post that this comes out with at bavarianfootballworks.com at the very bottom you will have to uh put in your email and then also let us know what region of the world you are from and then also help us out by answering a couple of questions but in the meantime be sure to follow us on twitter at bavarian fb works at jefferson fenner at tommy adams 71 and again you can read all of the best Bayern munich and german soccer content at bavarianfootballworks.com so from all of us here at the podcasting division thank you very much for listening please be sure to like rate share subscribe and download us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and anywhere else you get your high quality audio content and we will see you next time i'll feed a zane